Welcome to Culture Bites, where we take culture theory and turn it into everyday insights. We're powered by Human Synergistics, and our mission is to change the world one organization at a time. We can only do that together with our amazing community, so thank you for listening. Welcome to Culture Bites. My name's Dominic Gawley. I'm a consultant with Human Synergistics Australia, and this week on the episode, I'm joined by a very special guest from Focus. I've got Miles Glacier who's the co-founder, co-CEO. Hi, Miles. Hi, Dominic. Or should I call you Marvelous Miles? I've heard you've been called around the office. Marvelous Miles works very well. (laughs) I love it. We can use that throughout the podcast. And Karen Halewood is the Chief People Officer. Hey, Karen. Hey, Dom. And do you have a moniker as well, Karen? I feel like you should. It's crazy, Karen. Crazy, Karen. Crazy, Karen. Oh, no. (laughs) I mostly leave it to Miles. We're we're locked in a booth with her as well. Maybe conservative, Karen. Might be better. (laughs) It's probably more likely. (laughs) Probably more likely. I love it. Well, thanks for joining us. And both of you actually joined us at our annual culture conference. Yes. Which is a bit different this year. We had it online, but I love it. I love that we could do it anyway because we're a bit worried it wouldn't happen. And we actually got a chance to sit down and have a few questions, but we didn't get that many questions out, right? Because we had limited time. And so I thought what would be cool for people who were interested in the story, wanted to hear a bit more, or maybe they have a friend who didn't get along to it, that they could send this to them. So just kind of going through a bit of your story, how does that sound? Sounds great. Sounds very good. I love it. Well, I guess for people who are unfamiliar with Focus, you know, could you give us an intro, Miles, maybe about, you know, who are Focus? What do you do? You know, what industry are you in? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Dominic. And I think first of all, thank you because one of my uh, objectives this financial year was to be on a podcast, and we're there we're only <laughs> we're only forty five days into the financial year, and I can tick that list off. Done. So I'm going to go now. But uh, <laughs> thank you. No, no. So uh, Focus uh, Software is a, a software company, uh, unsurprisingly, and. Uh, our mission is to make people feel good about data and in particularly their business people, the everyday mm. business person at a manufacturing distribution or retail company. And they're typically trying to make decisions to help them run their businesses, to feel in control. And they're, they're drowning in Excel spreadsheets or pretty charts. So we have a really simple way of pulling all of the massive data they have together and putting it in the hands of these users so they can make decisions with confidence and ease. I love it. And I related a lot to that, especially from my previous life and a previous company where I probably knew far too much about Excel than I really should have because everything was run off Excel. It was crazy. I love it. And so what's kind of the history? What's the size of Focus Software? Yeah, sure. So we're, gosh, we're about uh, getting close to 200 employees now, okay. uh, about 40 odd million in recurring revenue. So it's a substantial business and it's spread Definitely. across three regions. So the United States, the UK and Australia. About 40% of the revenue from the US and, and the other rest of that in, in uh, Australia and in the UK. Yeah, fantastic. And you were one of the co-founders. So when, when was it founded? When, how old Yeah, it was back in 2001. So, I mean, I started life off here in Australia as a biotechnologist, but uh, right, yeah, okay. I was a, a terrible scientist, uh, very bad indeed. But what I loved about biotechnology was the, the business side and the technology side. And uh, like all good Australians, I, um, I went backpacking, ended up in, in London, was running a, a crazy backpackers hostel with bed bugs running around <laughs> everywhere for a while in London. But um, that was a lot of fun. But through that process, I met a guy who owned that, who was involved in software. So I got involved in the enterprise resource planning space, the software that companies use to run their businesses, uh-huh. got involved in that. And what we saw at the time was that salespeople in those manufacturing and distribution businesses 
that were really struggling to sell more into their existing customers because they just didn't have access to the data. So we went about, I flew back to Australia, pulled my brother involved, who was a, he was a software developer. And, and in three to six weeks, we knocked out the very first version. I got back on a plane, flew to England and we ran around and it started selling like hotcakes. Wow. I love it. That's mm. a great origin story. Fantastic. Yeah, so it was, it was great. And we'd always had, I'd always had this sort of dream to have a business that was global because probably because mm. I wanted to travel, right? Yeah, so, right. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so it was great. So as soon as we had enough money and up and running, we, we brought it back to Australia and spent some time setting it up here. And as soon as we had enough money there, we moved to the US and I spent seven years in New York City at the height of the financial crisis, almost killing myself and setting up the business in the, uh-huh. in the US. Yeah, what a time. And I guess speaking of, you know, origins and stuff like that, you know, we got you in because you've done a lot of work around culture and whatnot. And what I'd be interested to hear is at what point did you start focusing on culture and why maybe? Because, you know, a lot of startups, I guess maybe that's kind of out of sight. You know, you, I'll see what you say to that. But, you know, at what point did it kind of come into the vision, do you think? Yeah, to me, I think it was always there. You know, I probably didn't know it was called culture and I didn't uh-huh. know there was a whole science and business around it. But to me, it was never about the money. It was always about having fun. You know, work itself had to be fun. I wanted to enjoy what I was doing and who doesn't, right? Uh-huh. I wanted to have fun and, and naturally, you know, that was part of it. But it wasn't just about mucking around. There was a serious edge as we wanted to be successful. We had to be, right? Because we had no money. We had, to, we, had to get, we had to get people to buy the software. We had to grow and we had to make a profit because we had no alternative then. We didn't have any clue what venture capital was or any of that. So it was fundamental, that balance of having fun and it being professionally rewarding, but also at driving results. And there was always very much a long-term view. So it wasn't mm-hmm. ever, let's build the business and sell it. It's let's, If it's fun and fulfilling, why don't we build it and for, the, for the future as well? Yeah, so in a way that we could do it. Okay, so that's kind of where your head was at. When did you kind of start taking steps, I guess, to kind of formalize it or, you know, yeah. How did that start? Yeah. So we got a business really, we started in 2001 and we probably got through to about say 2015, I yeah. think. Karen, mm. is that right? And yeah. we were always, we've done a great job at scaling the business, but we got to a point, I thought, gosh, this is getting too hard. You know, it's, yes, we've got a great culture, but it was really hard to recruit the right people and also retain. And we had a lot mm. of amazing, talented people, but they were just whoever we could get. There was no strategy to it. Let's uh-huh. get whoever we can. And I started looking at it and I started off first of all saying, well, let's look at myself. I mean, I, I don't know, am I a good leader? Am I not a good leader? And so I, through a friend, found a, a coach and we did a, a diagnostic of 360. Uh-huh. Uh, and I got that and that was really amazing. I'm like, wow, I didn't know this was even a thing. And I got the wonderful <laughs> circumplex back and explained to it. I'm going, is that good or bad? And they said, oh, it's pretty good, actually. You're, you're, you're a reasonably creative, constructive type of leader. I said, well, that's great. But can you do this for companies? You know, how, uh-huh. I need help a lot bigger than this. You know, and I, I think we've got a good culture. And at that point, my coach was lucky enough to introduce me to Karen Halewood, who, who joined us and started on a, a very short-term project to, to look into that. Yeah, that was right. Miles said to me, could you come in and just tell us about the culture? Is it okay? Is it good? I think it is, but I just don't know. Uh-huh. So I said, well, let's get some tools. Let's do some measuring. And so we used the OCI. This was 2016, as Miles said. Mm. And um, we took the baseline measure at that point. But also I did uh, about 50 interviews and we were only about 90 people at the time. So I spoke, so to, o- yeah, yeah. I spoke to over half the company and said, tell me about the culture. Tell me what you think it is. Tell me what you love about it. And tell me why you're here. And um, the results just blew me away. I mean, I've, I've been working as a 
culture change consultant and an executive coach in for the previous you know, 20 years almost. Uh-huh. And uh, it was the first time I had come across an organization that was like this. And I was very intrigued. And I was like, Miles, what is it you're doing? What are you yeah. smoking? You know, I was like, well, this is just interesting. Yeah. So, um, I kind of wanted to hang around and find out a bit more as well. I was like, what are the secrets to this, you know? So, yeah, that's where we started was our first measure in 2016. So I love it. So came in for a short-term assignment. I was like, I actually quite like it here. I might stick about. Well, actually, I came in for two days a week for six weeks. That okay, was the deal. And then it was, could you just stay and help us with this? Could you, You know, that was interesting. Now, what about, could you help us with this? And before I knew it, you know, I was doing two days a week and then three days a week and then four days a week. <laughs> and Miles said, oh, for God's sake, just stay forever. <laughs> said, we love you. You love us. We're growing. We're going places. Why would you want to be anywhere else? This is so much fun. And I said, actually, it is. You know, it's the most fun I've ever had anywhere. Wow. So, um, yeah, I, I sort of joke about it now and say it started out as a fling and then I fell in love and <laughs> became a marriage and, you know, I just love it. And happily ever since. Beautiful. So, so I love that. I guess what listeners are interested in is kind of what's in the secret sauce, you know? So yeah. how did you actually go about it? And you did all those interviews and, you, you know, been, yeah. having seen a lot of companies in your consulting days, Karen. Yeah. What did you notice? What stood out for you? What stood out for me was that Miles's personality, his style, particularly as you know, one of the core co-founders, had really set the tone mm. for what was expected around here at mm-hmm. Focus. So the way he went about it really set the tone for other leaders. And so his view was, we should all want to be here. If you don't, don't be here. You know, this, mm. if this isn't fun, if this isn't fulfilling, if you haven't got a, an interest and a passion in being at Focus, if you haven't got a meaty, meaningful role, mm. then we're doing something wrong. So he had that enthusiasm, that energy, that passion that other people followed. And what happened was the people that joined us were very much, they were curious, they were great problem solvers, they were smart, they were very capable. But they also had to be self-starters because Mm. being a bootstrapped company Mm. and not having a lot of process or systems or structures, you sort of arrived, you got your desk and Miles was like, great, have a ball, off you go, you know, sort of make it your own. And Mm. so people had to go and make their own connections and build their own competency and train themselves and find a way to get settled in. And so one of the things, the first things that we did because the feedback from people was, I love it here, but I wish there was more in the way of support, training, onboarding, you know, a good recruitment processes, remuneration practices, you know, all of those things that would support people around their employment. Sure. And so that was a lot of the work we did in the first year or two was the sort of people platform, the fundamentals, really. Karen, do you think that was because... I wonder, in the early days when it's just a few of you, yes. you can kind of get by of with that. But now you're 200, it's getting Absolutely. bigger and bigger. That's right. We, we talked about that a lot, Miles, didn't we? The fact that the informality in the early days is what made it successful. Mm. But as you start to get to about that 100 people, you mm. really begin to notice it. You start mm. to think, gee, we're having a bit of trouble scaling up mm. because we can't do it all as informally now. The other thing that was really apparent is that people talked about in the 2016 measure about, I love my leader. They're open, they're accessible, I trust them, but they weren't very skilled. 
in many cases because mm. many of them had never led teams before right. and Fair it was enough. the first time and we had very little in in the way of management development or 360 feedback or coaching or how can I be a better leader. So one of the big things that we did over that next couple of years was really built that leadership capability. Mm. We've done a lot of work with our leaders over the last three years or so, you know, right through from, we started with the board, well, Miles kicked it off. We took the board through, we did our line of business leaders who are our executive C-suite kind of roles. We've taken it to our next level of leaders and now since 2019 down to our team manager level. So really trying to get it all the way through the organization to get some consistency around what does good leading look like mm. around here? Mm. Because both Miles and I are passionate believers that the leadership that you have drives the culture that you get and the culture that you have drives the performance that you get. I mean, 100%, Karen, and we've seen that. And the challenge you have when we're scaling the business is particularly when you know I cast such a big shadow, which is great, mm. but what would happen is I'd be in the US for a year or two and it's amazing and I'd leave and it sort of deflates a bit or likewise in the UK. But what we've done beautifully now is the systems and processes are great, but we've really invested in the leadership. So I've left the UK and we've got wonderful leaders there and the culture is stronger than it's ever been, likewise across the business. So particularly as we scale, we've found, yes, the systems and processes are important, but the number one thing to me by a mile is the leaders mm. and it's how they behave mm. is a reflection of the culture. No matter what I say, no matter what's on the wall, yet we know our values are fun fulfilling forever, but are you living in those values and how are you living those values? And that's where we're seeing the impact going beyond me as we scale the business. And, and what's beautiful is it seems to be working. And I love that because that's the challenge, isn't it? Because you can't be everywhere eventually. You know, maybe yeah. you can do that when it's 20 of you. But when it starts getting to 203 countries, obviously you can't be in three countries at once. No, um, that's right. The other thing that Miles did beautifully from 2016, uh, the feedback was that we love hearing what's going on and mm. the, the plans and we want to understand how we can contribute, but we don't do that very well. And so Miles said, right, that's it. We're shifting up the comms piece. And he moved right into a comms program then of strategy, plans, KPIs. Let's talk about them. Let's share all the financials. Let's have complete transparency mm. around the company about where we're going, what we're doing, how we're doing it, what it's costing us, what money we're making, et cetera. And that's been um, really, really a big lever in getting people to understand, well, that's where we're going. That's how we need to do it. And where can I fit in? Yeah. So it's taking that down to team objectives, individual objectives, and really trying to give everyone line of sight around how you can come with us and take us there and contribute to that. That's been really good, Miles, hasn't Very it? much. I mean, I, I you know, regularly do one-on-ones with staff all around the world, and every year I actually make sure I speak to as many staff as I can about our strategy and just touch base, what's working, what's not. And often I ask them, well, you know, what do you think of the strategy? And first of all, they're going, wow, you've got one. At my previous <laughs> job, I didn't even know there was one. It's true, um, yeah. So, you know, that alone uh, yeah. was pretty good. And I think that's important that, that that culture and the strategy ties in together so nice. Yeah. And I mean, uh, one of the items actually under achievement in the OCI is know the business. That's right. Right? Yeah. Because how can you put forward your best effort and use your initiative if you actually don't know the business? Yeah. You know? And that often happens, particularly the further you go down in a business, usually people are like, oh, they don't really need to know. Yeah, yeah. and you see that we had that debate in our recent line of business uh, about what you know, leaders, about how much should we share. And you know, for example, we, we bootstrapped our business the whole time. We've not taken any out, outside investment and we're now considering doing that. 
because mm. we've got such a massive opportunity to expand what we're doing and bring bring new products to market. And we've been 100% transparent with our, with our staff. They know we're raising money. And to, we've even actually shared the investor memorandum with them, which is incredibly detailed. And our mm. advisors, our bankers like, what? You're doing what? <laughs> and, and the investors can't believe them. Well, they've got to, you know, it's not about me coming up with the strategy. They're all involved. They need to make the decisions that are going to help us execute on the plan. So how are we going to do it without them knowing the detail? Yeah, no, I love it. Another one I just want to come back to, because you mentioned it, Karen, was meaty, meaningful roles. Yeah. What, what is that? What does that mean? Well, Miles always talked about and lived the idea of fun is not ping pong tables. It's not free lunches. It's not dry cleaning services. It's actually the fun in the work that mm. you, on a Sunday night, you're thinking, great, I'm going into focus tomorrow. I'm excited. I'm going to see the people that I love working with. I'm going to work with some awesome customers. I'm going to be in something that's really meaningful for me. Mm. So the idea of having the work itself be fun and be fulfilling means that everybody needs to have a meaty, meaningful role. So we use that terminology quite a bit in the leadership group. And we often talk through and we'll say, is that person in a meaty, meaningful role? If they're not, why aren't they? How do we help them be in one? Because if they're not, they're not sufficiently stretched, they're not sufficiently learning, and they won't feel like this is a place I want to be forever. Mm. It won't be fulfilling enough. Mm. So that's what that's about. And it's not, you know, it's fun for a while when you've got kind of nothing to do and you can stuff about, but it's not really fulfilling, right? And that's one of your yeah. values as well, fun and fulfilling. That's right. And you get that from actually doing something, achieving stuff. Well, you get that from feeling like you're making a difference. So mm. at the heart of our culture, you know, the evidence piece that's underpinning the culture is the self-determination theory, the idea that if you, are, if you have that sense of high competence, you're very connected to the people around you and you have autonomy, you can be self-determined at work, you can mm. determine what you want to do, where you want your career to go, how you want your, your life to feel at mm. work. And mm. so that's always been very much the focus way. You know, come on in, there's opportunity for you, we'll find you something meaty and meaningful to do and then you create the rest. Mm. And that's really one of the reasons why people say, I love it here because I can be myself, which is the part of self-actualizing. Yep. I can achieve my potential, also part of self-actualizing. Mm -hmm. And I've got this great group of people around me that I love working with. So it, it, it sort of falls together nicely. Yeah, I love that. And what, what do you do when, you know, because you said you sit around and, and maybe you say, oh, does that pe person have a meaty, meaningful role? Maybe they don't. If you kind of determine that maybe they don't, what is the kind of support or help you give them? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> number one, it's about, Number one, learning is the thing we'd probably look at first of all and trying to say, well, what, what other roles are, are there out for them? What do they need to do to, mm. to get into that role more than anything? And are they wanting to do that? It's really up to, to them very much. But we'll do everything we possibly can to give them all the ability to learn and to study into any of the other roles that they do through a 70, 20, 10 plan, for example. Mm. Yeah, no, I love it. What about challenges? Because that all sounds amazing. Have, have there been any road bumps or something along the way that you've had to kind of overcome? Oh, just a few miles, yes. Just yeah, a few. Oh. Yeah, I mean, very much. I think the biggest ones were probably around that 2015, 2016 period where we were going from a small to a medium-sized business. And it's just like, it was hard work. And with the founders, we were probably seeing areas where the, I wouldn't say the culture was bad. It was just different in the, some of the different businesses. And that you could see that was affecting performance. 
and it was affecting the ability for us all to work globally together as one team. And a lot of that was down to probably the different views of my co-founders, for example. Yeah. So that was a really challenging phase because you've set up a business together and you're then trying to decide, well, where are we going with the business? I think at one point we thought, oh, you know what, let's just sell it. And that'd be devastating, right? I'm glad we didn't entertain that for too long. But what we did better than that is we actually all just sat down and talked to each other and we just got it all on the table and what is it we really want? And once we got through, we actually realized we wanted the, the right things. And also as part of that, actually the doing the cultural diagnostic was great because it gave us some evidence of where some of those cultural differences were. Mm. And so as much as I could blacken the blue saying, I'm, I'm thinking this is not right, guys. When we actually saw it, you're like, oh, okay. And that's where it was really so powerful. And then at that point, everyone took ownership and said, okay, I get what you're saying. The culture is different here. And I get that's not constructive. What are we going to do about it? And that led to us all making some big changes that we could turn around. So that was really challenging emotionally for me and for all of us who'd start the business. But that literally un un unlocked us to, to the phase we're in now. And it, it takes those courageous conversations sometimes to, yeah. to do that, right? Yeah. Yeah. And we d we had a fabulous offsite, do you remember, uh, down at Bondi and uh, they, they, everybody went off for a swim first and then they came back and we kind of uh, mapped up on the wall. We went through a whole series of options around stay in the business, sell the business, extend the business, uh -huh. and take on funding, don't take on funding, etc. And it was a bit of a come to Jesus day, really, wasn't it, Miles? And as you say, out of that came this understanding about, no, we're going to go forward and we're going to make it forever and uh, let's get on and do it. And one of the, the other challenges, Don, that you asked mm. about that was really significant was resourcing. Because when you're in a bootstrap company, you just don't have the extra funding. You know, you, you want to add headcount. You can't. You want to pay at market. You might not be able to. You may not be able to have market mm. benefits. Mm. You certainly can't afford to have the free lunches and the dry cleaning service. Which people you know, associate with tech companies. With tech companies, yep. that's right. So, you know, how do you differentiate yourself and continue to grow and not overstress your existing people as well? So resourcing was one of our big challenges, wasn't it, Miles? Well, that's why culture is so great because culture is actually free, right? I mean, yes. it's just it really is down to your values and how you behave. You actually don't have to spend anything on it. Mm -hmm. And so that's where we're so lucky, I think, to get people like Karen, for example, who, you know, was, was way beyond our level, but she's willing to, to stick with us and fill the co-CEO, our head of marketing, our C's, chief product officer, all of those people have probably come to us two or three years before we we're the size that we, but uh -huh. I'm sure the culture, they're all people that could work anywhere they want, but they actually want to work somewhere they really enjoy being at. And, that, and that's the value of culture, you know? Yeah, that can be the value of culture. It's such an attractor and a retainer, Yeah, ultimately, because, you know, often yeah. like brand can attract, but culture retains, you know, because ultimately, and it's interesting with the, we don't have all the perks maybe of the arcades and the lunchroom or, or whatever it may be. But at the end of the day, that stuff doesn't really matter. It kind of wears off fast if, you know, you got at the arcade, but in my job, I've got no autonomy to make decisions. That's right. I'm not really that happy, right? I'm going to the arcade to escape work, maybe, you know, that's... Mm -hmm. Well, fun. that was actually the feedback that we got in 2016. People said, well, I said, what do you really value? I said, well, I want you to think about this in comparison to the best place you've ever worked. Mm -hmm. So tell me how Focus compares to the best place you've ever worked. Well, almost everybody said, Focus is the best place I've uh -huh. ever worked. And what I really value are a couple of things. They said one is the freedom that mm. I'm given, so mm. the freedom and autonomy mm -hmm. and the trust that is put in me. The second was the flexibility that the company gives me around my home, my life, my work, my family. And the third was the relationships. They said, I love the people at Focus. They support me. They care about me. They love me. 
we're a family. You know, we joke about it because Miles always says families are so dysfunctional. So he says, Thank, I hope we're not a family, <laughs> but we call it the, the family with a PH, PHA. Right. So we go, you know, we're family. Right. So we kind of laugh about it. It's a bit, but what it really represents is that we like being together. That's yes. it. And so those things are, you don't need, again, you don't need money to do that. That just, and you can't buy that, you know. No, yeah, you can't just buy that and install it, can you? It leads me to an interesting thought, and you kind of touched on it at the very start, Miles, which was this, you set up the company because you wanted to have fun. Hey, I wanted to travel. I wanted to enjoy what I do. But it was also pretty important that we got results and we, we sold it and we you know, developed things and all that. How do you balance that fun and outcome drive? Yeah, it's a really good point. It's, it's been a challenge in some areas, the areas mm. of the business, I think, particularly over time where, you know, Fun fulfilling forever is great because it's very simple and, and it, people can interpret it their own way. And the fun and fulfilling bit is great, but the forever bit is it's more that the sense that we've got a long-term view. But mm. to do that, if we want to have fun and being fulfilling, we have to grow. We have to keep on growing and we want to generate a profit. Mm. And so there needs to be an edge there around performance. And, and definitely there's been challenges where in certain areas where they're just focusing, you know, they're focusing on the fun and fulfilling bit and forgetting about the profit bit or it's right. a bit too much. They care about the customers too much or whatever. And it's, it's that sort of, a, you know, again, you, you can't be very caring for a customer if you're not profitable because yes. you'll be out of, business, out of business soon. So it's yeah. getting that, that balance right. But what we've found, I think, more than anything, it, it makes the performance so easy because people want to work. You know, they're, they're driven. You know, there's no, there's, you're not having to try to motivate people. Mm. So I think the ultimate performance, they can, they're motivated to achieve. Mm. Yeah, beautiful. Like, where are you now? So I guess what difference do you think having this culture actually makes to maybe to the organization overall, to employees and to customers? What do you think, Miles? Yeah, the great thing about the culture is it, it's more than just our people that focus. You know, it's really important to us, but we see it just as relevant for our customers. It's fun for them. They love using the software. It's fulfilling. It's professionally rewarding for them. They look better by using the software. And hopefully for them, it's a SaaS business subscription because it is forever. They don't leave, you know, very few. You know, it's about <laughs> yep. 97% retention. They don't leave. So I think those values apply just for those customers. I think it also applies to our partners that we work with, those same values, our shareholders. And we also feel that they apply to the planet as well because we feel that we have a role to play in ensuring that we can help as many people in the world have, a, a, be as, you know, have as good a life, a fun and fulfilling life as people that, that focus do. Mm. So I think it is it applies beyond just us as a, as a corporate entity. And what we really hope, you know, the forever bit's quite aspirational, right? And of course, not every em employee is going to be at focus. We've got some great new graduates, and I really hope they're not here in 10 years' time. I'm hoping they're the managing director of a com company somewhere else. But I'd be so proud to think that they've taken some of this fun, fulfilling forever philosophy with them, and they've used it in the next organization. What they've learned here is with them forever. Mm. The experiences they've had is forever. So I mm. think that's a a really important part that it goes beyond just us, you know, making money. Yeah, no, I love that. Yeah. We're switching now, you, Dom, you were talking about stages. You know, we've, we've mm. kind of been through the startup phase and we, we think about that as sort of 2000 to 2015, really. And then 2015 to 20, 2020 was really our first big growth and expansion mm -hmm. phase. And now we're about to embark on another one. So we're just in the process of writing our next round of strategies and plans for at least the next three to five years. I mean, loosely, because obviously things change, you can't nail strategy down. But, you know, for example, on the people and culture side, we, we've got it to a certain point. So we've got a great culture, we've got great people, we've put a lot of things into place to support them over the last few years. And our vision for that period of time was 
to make focus the best place to work. But now we're shifting into this higher level piece around how do we make focus in the next five five years a life-changing experience? So that's our next people and culture vision. And what can we do to really, as Miles said, make it a place where people come in, have a life-changing experience with us and step off with no regrets at Mm. the right time for them, Mm. having grown as a person, having learned a lot, having had a lot of fun in their work, but also being better for it, you know, whether they've actually got more skills or they've realized value through our stock option program or, you know, they've, it's given them openings for other places in their careers. So that's kind of where we're, we're taking it to. I love that idea as well, because people often ask us, or, or an issue that prompts people to come to us is employee retention or, yeah. say, or turnover, right? employee turnover. And usually it's because they've got a very defensive culture right? And so people don't really want to work there. And they say, oh, if we had a really constructive culture with lower turnover, that's partly true. But actually, really constructive organizations can have turnover too, yeah. but it's for a different reason. Yeah, It's because people are learning, growing, and taking flight eventually. So it's mm-hmm. kind of positive. But while we've got them, hey, we're going to get the best out of them. They're yep. going to do yeah. a fantastic job. And we want them to leave us. And, and say, this, this was a fantastic experience. It was life-changing for me, but it's time for me now to do something else or be something else. As Miles said, we hope we're growing some of the next group of entrepreneurs that are going to have their own startups and their own businesses and go out and be innovative around products elsewhere. We don't want them to stay at focus their whole life because they'll miss those opportunities. Yeah, I love it. What are just some final thoughts, maybe tips on, you know, for any company listening, particularly maybe ones around your size and stuff, what are some tips that you think are the kind of keys to, you know, the success you've had in shaping that culture? Yeah, I mean, number one, as a CEO or a leader, it's your role is so important in that. And I think you've got to, you can't fake it. You've got to, I think, look at your personal values, really understand what's important to you. Because as you say, you can't fake it and try and be someone you're not. And if you got you have that, you see if the CEO is different to the actual culture you're oh. trying to do, it's not going to work. So I think, and it is, it's just as I said before, you cast such a massive shadow as a as a leader from the CEO down that that's probably the number one important thing. And yeah, number two, the leaders below below, below them. And I think keep it simple. Mm. I think too often it's it's not about mission statements or value statements. It's it's not the values, it's, I guess, it's the virtues. It's, it's what do you actually, what are you living day to day? Mm. That's the stuff that makes your culture. Mm. Can people actually, if you have got some values, do people actually really live and believe and know those values? Mm. Yeah, that's where I would, I would spend the time. Go out, talk to people, go and talk to your people as much as possible, listen, see what's going on. That'll give you a, a sense of the, how the culture is. Mm. And for me, it would be about learning, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know, I always say to Miles, jokingly, his superpower is he's the most fantastic learner. It's exhausting to the point where we're like, don't give me any more book recommendations. I can't keep up. You know, he's always, have you seen this? Have you read this? Do you know about this? Oh, look, good, look, look, look. You know, he's a great learner. And that's been incredibly useful for our organization because especially as a tech organization, that idea of staying alive to what's going on and alert to what's happening in your environments, to being innovative, to experimentation, to be willing to fail, to say we didn't know enough. Mm. We were just talking about a situation we've got going on now when we were talking before you came in, Dom, around, you know, what did we learn from that? And okay, we didn't go that well, but we learned so much and we'll do it better the next time around. 
So I think that idea of it's okay to fail, it's, and it's part, if you make it part of your culture and you encourage people to experiment and to innovate, then, and it's safe, it's psychologically mm. safe to do so in that environment, then that's really, really a gift in your culture. Yeah, I love that. And I think it's like the values, it's learning from our mistakes and saying people say, a lot of companies I don't think really do. Yeah, you because know, it's yeah. not safe to actually do that, you know. That's so. right. Well, actually, I love the fact that Miles and Phil, our other co-CEO, they awarded themselves our first failure award. So Miles pitched up at our, our line of business um, event. We were all like, what is that you've got in your suitcase? And it was an abacus. Uh-huh. And he said, this is the Focus Failure Award. And he said, Phil and I have won it. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, and we were like, okay. And he said, you know, we just did such a crappy job of this particular thing. We, we had this idea, but we didn't get it, you know, right. And then we've left it too long. We experimented, but we did it for too long. We had too many people working on it without direction. And we spent too much money on it. But this is what we've learned. So they said, don't regret doing it. What we regretted was that we didn't take the lessons out of it quickly enough. Uh-huh. So that's been this, you know, so sharing those sorts of stories, it's amazing how many people came back and said, oh, I'm so glad you said that because... I feel like I can now say. Giving people permission. That's right. Yeah. 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 I mean, if, if failure is a key part of innovation, then we must be a very innovative <laughs> company. <laughs> it's a core competency. We've it's got core a lot, company lot is failing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> occasionally we learn from it. That's right. Yeah, it's good. I love it. So final questions. Where can we send our job applications in to... Uh... Oh, it's funny. It's, it's funny uh, you should say that. It's very topical, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, we are recruiting uh, extensively at the moment. Oh, I well, now you are going to get a job. Uh, I think, um, yeah, so if you want a job or if you're looking for some great data analytics software, uh, <laughs> here's the plug. Go to focussoftware.com, P-H-O-C-A-S, focussoftware.com. Uh, the jobs are advertised there and uh, you can see them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love it. And I'll edit that part out of the version I sent my boss so uh, (laughs) (laughs) thank you very much for your time today guys thanks Dom thanks Dom cheers thank you thanks for listening to this episode of Culture Bites if you enjoy the show remember to subscribe on iTunes Stitcher SoundCloud or wherever you get your podcasts also leave us a review it helps other people to find the show if you have a question you'd like us to answer Email podcast at human-synergistics.com.au. We'd love to answer it. This podcast is copyrighted by Human Synergistics Australia, all rights reserved. To learn more about what we do, visit human-synergistics.com.au.